Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. Psalms have been the worship and prayer book, the playlist for God's people for literally millennia. And we join with millions of others while we pray the Psalms, while we sing the Psalms. You may not have recognized it, but there was moments in our, even our worship today, like for example, Whom Shall I Fear? comes out of Psalm 27. And there's ways that we can sing the Psalms and it's, it's beautiful. For myself, I've been uh, praying the Psalms daily for a while now. Um, I, I say this to you as a, as a way of just giving you an illustration, but I, I, I try to uh, pray, um, read and pray five Psalms a day. So I do two first thing in the morning and then I do one at lunch, and then I do two in the evening. So I do five a day, which means I get through the Psalms once a month. And it's a great practice. I have a little reminder that pops up on my iPhone. Pray, you know, it's at noon, pray a Psalm. Or read, psalm, read, read one Psalm, you know. And, and just throughout my day, it brings my mind back, and, and I'm able to read that Psalm. And I'll admit, I have read that Psalm standing in the grocery store lineup, I have read that. I have read some psalms walking through a field, setting up sprinklers. So it's not always the most holy time. I get it, but it's this practice of coming back to the psalms regularly with my mind and heart. And I've been praying. I've been noticing as I've been doing that how these wonderful stories and poems and songs are forming more and more the way that I'm responding and, and praying to God, but also seeing the world around me. And so today I'm really excited to share Psalm 37. Because of the way Psalm 37 and others like it, I was torn. Those, of, those who are in the background and know what's happening uh, know that I said I was going to preach on Psalm 73. And then I said I was going to preach on Psalm 37. And some people thought I was just mixed up because 37, 73? Is it 37 or is it 73? And, and, I, I, and so then we worked 73 into the uh, opening call to worship because, yeah, anyway. So th- Psalm 37 is the one because I like how it helps me grapple with a very relevant and a very hard question for us. That is, how do we respond when evil seems to be succeeding in the world? How are we to respond when evil people keep destroying others? How can we keep up hope when it, it does look like the wicked keep winning, doesn't it? And over the last few weeks, uh, I know there's been a surprise blockbuster movie, which I haven't seen yet, but it's making all the headlines called The Sound of Freedom, featuring the story of Tim Ballard and his epic rescue of two kids from human trafficking. I'm, I'm thankful, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm thankful for how the movie has just propelled yet again into our collective consciousness, the overwhelming evil of modern slavery and human trafficking, a wickedness that is so enormous and so pervasive that its statistics boggle the mind. 46 million people are slaves today. Easy for us to forget that. 10 million of them are children. 5 million of them are in explicit sexual slavery. More human beings are bought and sold today 
than at the height of the 18th century transatlantic slave trade when it was in the height of its evil heyday. And how can we make sense of this, right? It's one of the most difficult challenges to the Christian faith is how we respond to evil. How is it that evil seems to succeed and wickedness seems to be winning? How can we say that God is in control when the world seems so clearly out of it? How can we affirm that God is good when so much evil seems to be winning the day? How can we declare God's destruction of evil through the suffering and death of Jesus Christ when it looks like wickedness is as healthy as ever? How? Do you feel the force of that challenge? That's a big one. How do we reconcile? the presence of evil with the power of God? How do we manage the tension between a God who is good and a world that is cruel? How this is all going to get worked out? Yeah, now, but also into the future. I mean, will there be any justice? Will wickedness win? These are huge questions, aren't they? But they're not new questions. Not at all. Our ancient brothers and sisters wrestled with this same essential question from their vantage point, particularly when they were stuck or when they looked around and it looked like the whole world's a dumpster fire and they're getting burnt. The church has wrestled with this for the last 2,000 years, particularly at moments in history where it just looked like the dark forces were overwhelming. What does it mean to be faithful in a world that is so flawed when people are so awful? And some of them doing it in the name of Jesus. When life seems so painful and so unjust. Over the last 16 months, uh, one of the grossest examples of wickedness has been the overt aggression of Putin's Russia over the people of Ukraine. Invading, occupying, torturing, killing, raping, trying to destroy a sovereign nation. And while most of the world has condemned these aggressions, Ukrainian cities continue to be razed to the ground, infrastructure leveled, lives taken, families crushed. And we can wonder if, honestly, if a man like Putin and the current regime will ever be stopped. And even if they are stopped, will they ever be held to account? Will there ever be a reckoning for their wickedness? In March of 2022, uh, the Ukrainian city of Bucha bore the brunt of brutality when Roman soldier, or Roman, <laughs> I live in two worlds. <clears throat> when Russian soldiers not only invaded homes, but massacred hundreds of people, including civilians and children, torturing prisoners, raping women and girls, and leaving that city under a cloud of malevolent stench. And what can we do when we hear about such evil? How can we respond? One of the gifts the Psalms gives to us is the way that they lament evil and they help us grapple before God with the reality of suffering and cry out to him, how long, O Lord? Give kind of honest cry for justice and for help and, and asking God to notice and to do something. And poets and musicians, both ancient like the psalmists and modern, often help give expression to our horror. And we have a gift of one of those modern poets among us. Carl, I'm going to ask you to come. Carl Erickson, 
who himself knows the horrors of war, responded to the news of Bucha's plight with his own song of lament, crying out for the people of that city. And when Carl played this song for me many months ago in his apartment, um, I knew that you needed to hear it. And I asked today if he would share his lament with us in a song called Remember Bucha. Hi. Well, here's hoping this guitar is in tune. (gasps) See the young ones dodge fire on the run and see the old ones they hide from the sun And see the soldiers Far too many die Fighting for their brothers In butchers smoke fills the sky Remember Butcha Tears for those who die Home is where your heart is Your heart made your home And no one can just take it It's yours to own This is our home Take your guns and go home This is our land Take your lies you own Go home And ours is a sovereign nation Be gone It will be the young ones Who bring freedom home It will be the young ones Who cut them to the bone And all the little children are taken from their homes will one day strike the liars and they will die alone. It will be the young ones Give us back what we own Remember Bucha Lies told to the world Remember Bucha Those tied face down Remember Bucha 
blood cries from the ground Remember Bucha Love goes all around Hey, thanks. Thank you, Carl. Forgive me, Father, for my anger. Thanks. Thanks, Carl. Remember Bucha. Thanks, Carl. And so the question, how do we respond? Is there a way of making sense of evil? What can we do? How should we think? And for that, we can look to Psalm 37, a psalm which offers us perspective-shifting truth that we need as we continue to witness wickedness seeming to win in the face of pervasive evil. So I invite you to open up your Bible on your phone, on, in paper, on the web, wherever you have it, um, and to follow along as we dive into Psalm 37. Let's just pray. Holy Spirit of God, we quiet in our hearts before you and ask that you would lead us now through this beautiful psalm that we would be open to receiving truth that shifts our perspective. We acknowledge before you that we feel confused often, that we struggle often and ask that you would teach us now. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, Psalm 37 begins like this. Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. When we see evil people winning, there are two common responses. We can fret about it, or we can envy them. Some of us do fret a lot. Maybe most of us, that's our response. Everywhere we look, when we see wicked winning, and we can feel despair. We can wring our hands. We feel worried. We're not sure. We read the news, and we despair, right? We open up Facebook. Oh, a little more despair. For those of us who dare, we glance at Twitter. Don't even get me started on that social media platform. But even chatting with friends around coffee, conversations can turn toward what's happening in the world. And we can kind of feel that cold sweat of fret begin to climb up the center of our backs. Have you felt that? Look around. We just talked about this. Evil people seem to be getting away with, well, everything. And we can feel helpless to do anything. Maybe we're personally worried about our own safety or security. Or maybe it's just the presence and the success of evil that breeds a kind of existential angst in our hearts. But the effect is, to use this translation's word, we fret. We bring our hands. We pace the floor. We sink into depression. We spin our wheels. We feel the despair 
at the pervasiveness and persistence, the unstoppability, it seems, of evil. We fret. But not all of us fret, if we're honest. Some of us also envy, as the psalmist points out. Now, I don't mean necessarily that you're looking at the latest massacre and thinking, oh, I want to be him. No. Um, But we heard this this in Psalm 73 too. We can look and and think, people are getting away with doing whatever they want to do. Literally murder, but other things too. Doing whatever they want, setting their own rules and seeming to succeed at life. Better than I am, mind you. And, And we can wonder, why have I been so careful with my life? Why have I been so concerned? Why, why have I tried to be so conscientious in my business or in my relationships or in my life? Why have I been careful sexually or why have I been careful with the way that I engage in certain activities when it seems like it doesn't matter? We can begin to envy in the sense of doubt our own moral carefulness. Maybe thinking, you know, all that integrity, all the lie, all the years I've, I, I've striven for integrity and, and I've, try, I've tried to, you know, actually take care and, and be self-disciplined, even sacrificial. What does it all matter? Look around. These people are doing great. Healthier than ever. You hear this in the Psalms. So then you can wonder, does it really matter? I mean, I kind of like to have that life. Look at the byproduct. Yeah, he's been a bit of a schmuck, but he's got a big boat. Those are nice vacations. I kind of would like that for myself. Those are moral morons seem to be doing just great. And we can begin to think, well, maybe just for once, you know, I'd like some too. And so let me ask, even as we begin, do not raise your hands on this. <laughs> are you given more to fret or envy? We all want to say fret because nobody wants to say envy. I get it. But as you examine your own heart, as you think about uh, the ways that you've responded to, okay, maybe not some of the global ugliness, but some of the, 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 more, the smaller stuff, the, the stuff in the days, the, 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 the relationships, the people, the, the people who do, who've done business badly or the people that seem to not care about others. Uh, has there ever been a time when you kind of feel like a bit envious? Like, what, what does it matter? Because the psalmist starts right off by saying, don't do that. Don't fret. Don't envy. Why? Because there's something bigger he wants us to hear. There's a longer perspective he wants us to gain. Do you fret because of those who evil? The clock is ticking on them. Do you envy because of the impunity of those who do whatever they want? Listen, they are living on borrowed time. He uses the plant analogy. Like grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. You hear that key word, soon. Whatever it may look like today, the scriptures as a whole and the Psalms in particular remind us again and again and again, evil will not succeed in the long term. Wickedness will not win. Yeah, it may look like they are winning. But friends, back up a little and you will see that like grass in the summer heat, can I get an amen right now who's shut off their sprinklers before they came to church? Who didn't? (laughs) Like grass in the summer heat, 
They will soon be gone. Days are numbered. And so first out of the gate, this is an important establishing truth. He wants us to know, particularly in those times when we're fretting or we're envious, wickedness won't win. Evil people will pass. And so if we're not to envy and we're not to fret, what are we to do? If we aren't supposed to wring our hands or darken our hearts, how do we respond? This is where he goes next. Don't fret, don't envy. Here's what you are to do. Picking up in verse three, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Notice the emphasis on trust as the alternative to fret and envy. That trusting that how we're living for God now, knowing that God is trustworthy both in the now, but also in the future. And this will actually be the heartbeat, the drumbeat of Psalm 37. It'll be highlighted again and again and again. Live right because God's got you. And as for those who are living wrong, well, (laughs) God's got them too. I mean, that is the message. And so what does trust look like? I want us to unpack verses three to six because in some ways this is the foundation and the rest of the psalm just goes on to reiterate these points. I love how trusting breaks down into three aspects here. First, we express our trust in the Lord through loving action. Did you notice that? Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. We trust through loving action. Instead of fretting and envying, we express our trust in the Lord in really concrete ways by acting for the good of those around us. We are told all through scripture, both Old and New Testament, to overcome evil with good. Operating from a position of trust, knowing that we can trust that the Lord is going to work this out, we can live in light of that now in the very way that we love sometimes sacrificially, but we do good for those who are around us. We live out the good of God's kingdom even when we're surrounded by people who aren't living that way. And that's the key. Not fretting and not envying does not mean we ignore injustice or that we remain impassive. In fact, we act in love. We seek God's shalom, which is both his justice and his peace, his life of love for others. This whole passage, trust the Lord, do good, dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture, is this sense of living in God's shalom kingdom, living out his heart for the land, for the people, for the neighbor. Human trafficking is a great example I brought up already. It's very easy to wring our hands. But we can show our trust in the Lord and in his promises through loving action by actually actively supporting the abolition work of organizations like International Justice Mission or Not For Sale, and there's many others. We can pray for them, but we can give to them. We can advocate for them. We can work with them. There's key ways that we can trust in the Lord and do good as the alternative to just fret or envy. 
And that is key as we consider what does trust look like? In the face of evil, we continue to trust the Lord and do good. Second, we trust the Lord through our heart's passion. Verse four says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It is very important that we tend to our heart's passion, to our heart's delight, to what centers our hearts and minds. That it be centered in the goodness, the faithfulness, the promises of God. One of the struggles we can have when we're looking around at evil in the world or the struggles that are happening around us is that our hearts can then begin to be centered in, constantly obsessing about, thinking about, meditating upon these things that are destroying the world. And while we need to pay attention, we can't be centered in them. We must remain centered in the Lord and delighting in him. We've talked a lot about that around here, but one of the ways that we do that is by deliberately practicing these key spiritual formation practices that our brothers and sisters have done for literally hundreds and thousands of years, meditating on scripture like the Psalms, uh, having regular ways of praying, uh, ways of holding ourselves open to let the Holy Spirit speak to us. Key practices that keep us centered in a delight in the Lord. And what's interesting is that is the antidote, the purest antidote to envy and fret. Because what's going on when we're fretting or envying? Ultimately, the desires of our hearts have been shifted away from the Lord. And we're beginning to obsess or, 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 or be oriented around something else that's going on, usually negative, or we wouldn't be fretting and we wouldn't be envying. And so this challenge to say, express your trust through delight in the Lord reminds us that in the midst of what can be pervasive, overwhelming injustice, our hearts must be centered in the Lord so that we're practicing regularly a way of delighting ourselves in him, in his story, in who he is, in what he is doing. And that's absolutely key. We talk about this fairly often. We have to actively choose, in the power of the Holy Spirit, what we are putting into our hearts and minds, so that we remain centered in the delight of the Lord. And the third way this short passage within Psalm 37 teaches us trust, is that we then trust through faithful, committed living. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. Notice the promise. He'll make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. This is a reminder that our daily, regular, dare I say, boring, mundane faithfulness to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength in the family situation you're in, in the workplace where you are, in the school, in the neighborhood, wherever you're going throughout your day, to daily, faithfully put one foot in front of the other, loving your neighbor, loving your Lord, that what God is saying here through the psalmist is that as we commit our way to him and trust in him, he will come through. It's this reminder that he's a promise-keeping God. He will be faithful to us. And this righteous reward, this vindication, this rings deeply in the hearts of people who are saying, I'm being faithful and it sucks. I'm being faithful and I'm suffering, right? Which we felt 
But down through the ages and in the world today, there, there are believers, followers of Yahweh, followers of Jesus who are living faithfully and are paying dearly for it, right? And so there's a reminder here in the Psalms and through scriptures that the Lord is saying to them, look, I see your faithfulness. I will reward you. I will not forget you. There will come a day when your faithfulness in the midst of evil and suffering, when it looked like no one else noticed, the Lord says, there will come a day when you will be vindicated, when what's true will be known to all. And you will be rewarded for that faithfulness. And so there's a reminder there that even when we're not, no, not noticed, we think it doesn't make a difference. We think no one cares, especially those of us who might struggle with some envy to say, I I'm going to be faithful to the Lord. I'm going to live for the audience of one, knowing that he is faithful to his promises. And if no one else sees, and it doesn't seem to make any other difference, and it even seems like it's working against me, I'm going to entrust myself to the Lord. I'm going to commit my way to him, knowing that he will vindicate me. This is powerful, powerful truth. It's with that trust in place that we then are called to wait. Let's keep going. In many ways, the psalmist now, in Psalm 37, he's not going to add a whole lot of new material. He's going to say a whole lot more. But it's really about reinforcing these basic things he's already set up here just in the first few verses. But listen, verse 7, I'll read a few more. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Again, do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Do you see how he's reinforcing the same basic truth here? Over and over again. Don't fret. Keep trusting. The wicked are passing, but the righteous aren't. He's calling us to hold a position of trust with this renewed perspective that God gives. And with that, the psalmist just continues. I'm not going to read through the whole rest of the psalm. Well, we'll see. I don't think I'm going to read through the whole rest of the psalm. It's so good. Oh, it's just so good. Verse 12. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked for he knows their day is coming. Have you ever just... This is a new thought for some of you, I know. When you see evil people doing evil things, have you ever just meditated for a moment on God's laughter? This is what the Psalms do. God laughs. I, I don't think it's a nice laugh. You know what I'm saying? God laughs. Not ha ha funny, but like, <laughs> the wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose ways are upright, but their swords will pierce their own hearts. Their bows will be broken. You hear this all over the Psalms. There's a sense in which the evil, 
that people are trying to do will bounce back on them like evil boomerangs. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. This is the theme of Psalm 37. I invite you to take that psalm in the week that follows and let it begin to frame and shift and perhaps reframe and shift your perspective on evil, on how we respond. Again and again and again through this psalm, we will hear reiterated, trust the Lord. Don't fret. Trust the Lord. He's got you. Trust the Lord. The wicked are coming to an end. At the very end, verse 35 to 40, I have seen a wicked and ruthless man flourishing like a luxuriant native tree. But he will soon pass away. He soon passed away and was no more. And though I looked for him, he could not be found. Consider the blameless. Observe the upright. A future awaits those who seek peace. But all sinners will be destroyed. There'll be no future for the wicked. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Psalm 37 is a powerful reframing for us reorienting us around the deeper, bigger truth. God is good and he can be trusted. God is good and he will destroy evil. We can trust him to make good on his promises and we can wholeheartedly live in light of that now, even when it looks silly, even when it looks like it's not making a difference. We can trust him. This has been so powerful for me. As I've been reading and praying the Psalms daily, this has been a theme that comes up all through the Psalms. Psalm 37 is a great example of it. But it has helped me reframe things when I have felt discouraged or I've felt despairing or I've even fret or I've even envied. It has helped remind me of what's true, of God's faithfulness, that he is faithful, but also that he is just that we believe in a God of justice. I know how some of the Psalms can ring a little shrill in our ears these days, right? There's something about bathing your feet in the blood of your enemies that just doesn't go down very well. But here's the thing. <laughs> Not that I like that one. Uh, just, here's the thing. What we're reminded of again and again is that God doesn't just wink at evil. He doesn't say, ah, oh, that's okay. No, he doesn't. He promises its destruction. He has affected that through Jesus and he is working toward it even now. The question we often have is why the wait? Like what's the holdup here? You even heard it in uh, the, the passage we read from Peter. Uh, there's a sense of like, come on, let's hurry this up already. I mean, how many more of us need to die? Remember in Revelation, the people under the altar who had been slain because of their testimony? And they're saying that exact, that exact, that's the exact question they're saying to the Lord. How, long, how much longer before you avenge our blood, you know? And they're told what in Revelation? Wait a little longer. So what's the wait? Well, it doesn't necessarily say this in the Psalm 37, but when we expand it into the larger story, we realize that that waiting also has a purpose. Yes, our God is good. Yes, our God is just. But our good God 
And our just God is also patient. He's also merciful. We discover that there's something happening in the waiting. Not only is he forming his people for himself, he forms us through suffering. Not only is he deepening within the church a deep commitment to his ways, not only is he deepening our witness to the world, but there's a sign in this waiting that his goodness extends even for those who are currently his enemies. All of this language in the Psalms, the destruction of the enemies, what we know when we, when we step out into the larger story is that there's a God who came in Jesus Christ and paid the penalty for his own enemies, right? That he hung on the cross and said, Father, I forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He told his own followers to love his enemies and he demonstrated that love for his enemies by going to the cross for them. So even though the promised destruction is still coming for the wicked, there is a delay so that they might repent. You heard it in Second Peter, but let me re- re- refresh you. You must not forget this one thing, dear friends. I'm reading from Second Peter. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years like a day. In other words, time operates differently. The Lord is not slow about his promise. As some people think, no, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroy- destroyed, but everyone to repent. And then down further, he talks about, again, this delay is so that people can come to the knowledge of the truth and live because that's God's desire for people. And what we discover is even in the delay, it's a demonstration of the mercy of God. As we look around us and see wicked apparently winning, but knowing from God's perspective that it won't, then in the waiting, we begin to realize it is in the waiting that we are able to bear witness to what Jesus has done, is doing, and will do. And the cry that's going out, even in the waiting, for the wicked to repent. Because it is God's desire that the wicked would come to their knees and become his own children. And let the grace and the love and the power of Jesus actually flow over to them as well. So even in the delay, the gospel is shared. Yes, Jesus has destroyed evil through the cross and is working now to reconcile all things to his Father. And we're part of that. And the difficult part is it is in our suffering that we follow Jesus even today. It is when we feel the most beleaguered. We feel the most outnumbered. We feel often the most confused that we are sharing in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. And from that position of suffering, we are bearing witness to the Lord of all creation who became part of this world, entered into our suffering to bring it upon himself and transform it for our good. And so from these places of suffering, when you read through history, history of martyrdom, the history of of just regular folks living out their lives in Christ, they're constantly pointing to Jesus in the midst of their suffering and saying, he is the one who has overcome. He is the one who will make it all right. He is the one who notices me even when no one else does. I will be faithful and trust in him. God's delay is God's mercy. And that also shifts our perspective. Well, application as we finished. How do we put this into practice in our lives? I've already said a few things. I think you hope, hopefully you pick some of them up, but let me just tighten that up a bit. The first is that we do have a choice, don't we, around how we allow our mindset to be framed. We have a choice to what we input into our minds, what we dwell upon, don't we? We actively choose what we're going to read, what we're going to study, what we're going to watch, what we're going to mull over, 
fret over. We actively choose those things. And so the invitation here is to let the word of God actually frame our mindset. Yes, let God's word about the wicked frame our mindset and our response to the wicked. But also letting God's word about the righteous, letting God's word about the now and the future reshape the very way that we respond and think. And that doesn't happen overnight. You know, you don't just go home tonight, read Psalm 37, and bam. I wish. This is called entering into the story, entering into the Psalms, entering into the scripture, and letting this become the framework through which you see the world. This is a gradual process the Holy Spirit uses to transform our minds. So actively choosing our mindset is letting God's word be the first word. Maybe literally the first word of your day, as opposed to Facebook. But first in terms of primacy. First in terms of priority. This is what frames your response to everything else, and certainly to evil and suffering. We choose our mindset. Within that, we choose our delights. I think virtually everything in our life is determined by what we delight in. What is your heart's delight? There are lots of things that weigh us down. I understand that. Lots of things that trouble us. The invitation of the Holy Spirit is to remember that in the midst of suffering, we can delight in him. There is a joy the Lord can bring to us. And to come before the Lord and say, I want to delight in you. I want to think and consider and meditate upon the beautiful, the good, the noble, the true, the excellent, the praiseworthy, Philippians 4.8. I want to let the delight of the Lord be the center of my life. As we choose our delights, it often will determine not only the day, but the destiny of our lives. Choose your delights Let it be the light in the Lord. And then the third one is that we can choose our actions. When we operate out of fret or out of envy, it will lead us to destruction. It actually says in the psalm, it'll cause us to do evil too. The choice we make when we trust in the Lord and do good is to choose in the midst of what can seem contrary to everything, opposite to the culture, even against the grain of our own initial desires. We can choose to act for the good of others, even for those who seem to be against us. Knowing that our weapons are not flesh and blood. Our enemies are not that guy down the street, but rather principalities and powers, spiritual forces of darkness. And when we act for the good of those who seem to be against us, we are actually demonstrating in our very action the life and suffering and gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we're mimicking in our actions the very thing Jesus did for his enemies who at one time was us. And so we choose our actions. We choose to live according to what is truly true. Not always what we can only see and feel ourselves, right? Because I don't feel like doing that. And it doesn't look like it makes sense. But when I operate according to the truth of God's word, I can live into the truth of who God is and what he says he's doing. It orients me differently. I can choose actions to love my neighbor as myself, as Jesus loved me.
I want you to imagine for a moment the difference that this would make in our lives. I don't know where you land in the whole struggle with evil and suffering. I don't know whether fret or envy or some other response. But I want you to imagine for a moment what difference it would make in the way that you operate, the way that you think, the way that you respond. If you were to take into your heart and mind what Psalm 37 is teaching us, that God is good and is faithful to his promises, that God is just and he will not let wickedness go unanswered, but that God is also patient and he's calling all people to repentance. What difference would that make in the way that you live your life? What difference would that make in the way that you respond online? What difference would that make in the way that you pray for a neighbor who's terrible or a workmate that you'd like to see move on? What difference would it make in, in, in an engagement with a brother-in-law that's difficult or a parent or a spouse or an ex-spouse? What difference would it make in your whole sense of like peace in your heart and mind? What difference would it make in your hope? Because there's a beauty here that the psalmist is calling us to. To wait and to trust. Not from a position of anxiety or anger, but a position that is delighting in the Lord oriented around his goodness and then actively living that out in the life he's given us to live. What difference would that make? Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.